Well, as we begin this new year, you're probably all aware that uh, in our culture, there's often the making of resolutions. Uh, People uh, make resolutions of areas that they want to change in their lives, things they don't feel are as good as they want it to be, or whatever it might be. And a lot of times that can be physical resolutions. Uh, I want to get in shape or lose weight, things like that. There's a lot of those resolutions that go forth, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But as we uh, look in Scripture as believers, we recognize, as Paul would tell Timothy, that uh, that bodily discipline is of or bodily is, uh, discipline is of little little profit, but godliness is of great gain. And I think we as believers we need to think about not only taking care of those uh, things that we think we need to do in the Lord, but we need to have our resolutions centered around our walk with Jesus Christ our walk with him. And today, I believe we're going to see that we need to understand if we're being useful or fruitful in his kingdom, in our relationship with him. And that should be our resolution that I want to grow closer to Jesus Christ this year. I want to grow closer and walk with him. I want to gain understanding in the knowledge of Christ and walk in his grace. And we're going to see how we do that. So, yes, make your resolutions, but may the primary resolution be centered around your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to share today before we get back to our study study of different books. Be praying for what we'll be studying next. I've got a few ideas, a few that I'll throw out there. Ecclesiastes, uh, Galatians I've been studying, also other books. So uh, be praying about what we will do as a church. Uh, We're starting that in the next week or two. And so be praying about that. But as we finish up our Christmas messages and our new year, let's take a look at Second Peter. Second Peter. Would you turn me your Bibles to Second Peter? And we're going to be looking at verses five through seven. Five through seven. And we're going to see how we can know if we are useful and fruitful in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to be able to find that out through the scriptures. Now let me briefly share the context of Second Peter. We went through this uh a couple years ago, so it might still be in your mind. But uh, Peter identifies himself as the writer for verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Peter is writing this letter. And who is he writing it to? He's writing it to those who have a like faith, uh, those who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And he is writing to those within this context who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is, true believers, true believers. And then yet, uh, who specifically is he writing to? Well, in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring you up by way of reminder. You might remember in 1 Peter, he wrote to those who were in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia in 1 Peter 1.1. And that encompasses Asia Minor, which we call modern-day Turkey. And these, again, were those who had been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They were true believers. And yet in this second letter, he appears to expand who he is writing to. We know <coughs> that all scripture is inspired by God and is unprofitable. We know that. But he appears to be expanding to all of us, those who have a like faith, the same faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> so what's this book about? What is Second Peter about? Well, simply, it's about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Sorry about that. It's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Look in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, and we read this earlier. (coughs) Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. It's about growing in the knowledge of God and of Jesus. Look down at verse 8. For if these qualities, and we'll see them today, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see today these qualities that reveal if we're being fruitful and useful have to do with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not simply having these things in your life. It's actually having a relationship in him in which you're growing. And these are manifest in that relationship. It's about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even in the end of the book, uh, chapter 3, verse uh Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace is his uh, His favor towards us, him functioning through us in everything we do. His uh, knowledge of him is growing in our relationship, knowing him even closer and closer, knowing him better and better. And so as we look at this passage, we need to see it in this framework or we will try to shoot for the results rather than growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Okay. So then uh, in this passage here, it's actually, as we're going to see chapter uh, two and and uh, in chapter one, that this is a, clearly a reminder for believers. We need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. As I was preparing and praying about what to do, I'm like, Lord, I need this so desperately. I need to be reminded of this. I need to 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 get my my focus on you more and more and more. And so, take a look at chapter one, verse sixteen. Chapter one, verse sixteen. Actually, verse fifteen. Now I'm going to go back a little bit. Actually, verse 12. Sorry about that. Verse 12. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things. And that's what we're going to look at today. Remind these things, though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus has made it clear, has made clear to me. And I will be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to recall these things to mind. This letter is a reminder about the truth of God and the God of the truth. Look in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, This now, beloved, is the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. By way, a reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior uh, spoken by your apostles. <clears throat> right here, Peter is reminding us of the truth of God. And that is what we need as we will see to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding us of the most important things. 
And yet even through this book, he, he, he threads in warnings to the threats, to the truth, and that truth which is crucial to our relationship with the Lord. Those who would pervert the truth, those false teachers who would, who would, who would turn, try to drag people astray. And so within that, they would mock and pervert and twist the word of God. Yet Peter is going to share his last words to remind us that we would not be taken captive by them, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge. Instead of going caught up by these guys, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then we have Peter's last words in his second epistle, very important, a reminder to believers, true believers that have a like faith. There's only one faith in Jesus. We're true believers if you do. And that we need to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes through, as we will see, the word of God working in our hearts. So this is very important. So do you want to be useful and fruitful for the Lord Jesus? Well, the worldly church says, go out and do stuff for Jesus. Go out and do this. Are you useful and fruitful? Are you on missions board? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you useful and fruitful? It's always the results. But often we don't see what is at the core of what needs to be there if you are useful and fruitful. And that comes from the word of God. Now, there are things that come from that and manifest in actions, as we'll see. But the primary reality is God's word reveals if we're useful and fruitful. Because we can do stuff and we feel in our own and justify in our own hearts that we're useful but God's word relays if we're really useful and fruitful. And I need to be reminded of this, and I need to be refocused on this, and I believe you do too. And I believe that's why Peter says he's stirring us up by way of reminder. So then, how can we know if we have a useful and fruitful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to go back and we're going to read up from what I've read earlier and read through our passage into the portion after. It's all together, but we're going to focus on verses 5 to 7. So let's go back. Chapter 1, start in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And now our passage. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. So we're going to look at today. But notice it keeps going and we need to know it's connected, okay? For if these things, qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his former pur- his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will abundantly be supplied to you. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have already been established in the truth, which is present with you, with you. Okay, so today's passage is very important. And as we look at it, I want to give some preliminary uh, statements about it. 
because it's a very practical portion of Scripture. It's a very practical portion of Scripture. Indeed, we're going to see that it is about spiritual growth. It is about the reality of spiritual growth, how God works out salvation in us, how he works out salvation in us. We call that sanctification. And we need to know how this happens because we have a responsibility to have a right and balanced view of what sanctification is from the word. Secondly, we're going to see spiritual growth from a biblical perspective. And when you see that, you might realize maybe I have never grown. Maybe I've never had any of these qualities, which means maybe I don't know the Lord. And God does not want you to be deceived coming to church, doing singing and stuff, and and think you're a believer when you're not. He wants you to understand. He wants you to understand so that you see yourself rightly. And then for those of us who do know him, it should be an extreme blessing for us because we need to be reminded because we get in these ruts. We get our focus off. We get sidetracked and we start to realize, hey, am I really walking the way I should be walking? And we need to have things change in our lives. We need to refocus. And so it's quite a blessing for us. So then let's take a look at our passage. The first thing I think we're going to see here is that to have a useful and fruitful relationship we need to remember and believe we already have everything we need. If we don't believe and remember that, we are in trouble. We'll be looking in other places for that relationship or whatever it might be, looking in the wrong places. Look back at chapter uh, 1, verse 2. Let's just take a brief review of that. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is God's desire that grace and peace would be multiplied to you. God would multiply it. That is his desire. That's his desire. In the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He doesn't want stuff from you. He doesn't want just junk that doing stuff for Jesus. He doesn't want that. He wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of his son Jesus. That's what he wants. Now the stuff will come from that, the stuff that's his stuff. That's his stuff. So we have that desire. And then he says, verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted, already done, it's a done deal. Remember when we saw this passage years ago? It's already happened. Has granted us to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything we need for this life, this life in Christ, our Christian life, by the way, and godliness, uh, uh, his character manifest in us, is provided. And notice what he says, through the true knowledge of him. You know what? We're going to see it comes through the word of God, but it's connected to the knowledge in a relationship with Jesus. It's not simply the word on a page. It's the word in the context of a real relationship with Jesus. So he says here, through the true knowledge of him who called you by his own glory and excellence. And notice he says in verse 4, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. It's the word of God. He's given us everything we need for life and goodness. That we might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. We partake of the character of the living God. We don't become divine. We're human beings. We're his creation. But we partake of his nature. What an amazing thing. A holy, righteous God. We partake of that through his precious and magnificent promises in the context of a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That is what he does. Tremendous, wonderful, precious, tremendous promises, valuable, precious. If it's precious, it's valuable. And he says magnificent. That means they're the greatest. They're the largest. They're the greatest. It's God's word. It's the greatest. And so that in order that we might become partakers of the divine nature, having, because we've already escaped, escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The world's problem is lust, desires that are separate from God's will and God's desire. That's the problem. So then, everything we need for growing in our relationship comes through the word of God in the context of a real relationship with Jesus Christ, an abiding relationship. We're abiding in him. His word is abiding in us. So at this point, what else could he say? (laughs) He pretty much said it all. We should say, all right, it's time for fellowship lunch. Uh, We have everything we need, yes. But he's going to continue to show us what that looks like in real time, what it looks like, so that we're not self-deceived and that we're reminded of what it's looked like in our lives before and what it should look like now and how it should be increasing because we're going to realize probably, you and I, I certainly have, that, wow, I'm not where I should be. I want to be where the Lord wants me to be. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want that to be my focus this new year. So then, we're going to see, I believe, that he calls upon us to, in faith, act upon what we know in the context of our relationship with Jesus. And that's going to be an evidence that we are useful and fruitful in our relationship with him. Take a look at our passage, verse 5. Now for this very reason also, it's connected. We're going to see that. It's connected to what we just read. He says, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. So something we need to look at as we begin to look at this passage is some initial observations about this. Some initial observations. First of all, it hinges on what we just looked at in verses 2 to 4. That's what it hinges upon. It hinges upon that. He says, now for this reason, very reason also. This very reason, what's this very reason? Well, you could translate this way. And in the same also, because of what God has done, because we have everything pertaining to life and godliness, therefore, in a sense, this should be happening. This should be happening. This is what should be coming out of your, your relationship with Jesus and his provision through his word for everything you need. For everything you need. He says here now for this very reason. Now, I want to show the structure again before we get into it specifically. But the main verb here is supply. That's the main verb. That's an imperative command. And some verses translated add to. Some versions translated add to. Uh, and this main verb uh, is connected upon a dependent participle uh, that precedes it, translated applying or giving or make. Uh, and then there's a modifying participle. Okay, we'll get to all this. Uh, all diligence, applying all diligence, making every effort. So, so in the context, as we will see, of applying all diligence, supply. In the context, as we will see, faith. We're going to see that, Okay. And lastly, the term in your faith, verse 5, is the sphere in which all these things are to be supplied in the context of diligence. 
The term faith in your faith is not the first list. It's not saying, here's the list. First thing, have faith. Second thing, do this and this and this. No, it's in the context of the faith you already have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a like faith in Jesus Christ. And in this faith, in the context of this, supply, and we'll look at that, all diligence, in the context of all diligence, this list of things. This list of things. So then, applying all diligence in the context of faith, supply moral excellence. Supply the next thing. Supply the next thing, okay? It's all in the context of a relationship with Jesus and trusting him. And then we're going to say, say, let it come out. Let it, let it be manifest. Let it, be, it, it come out in your life. So here we are, verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying in all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence knowledge, in your knowledge self-control, in your self-control perseverance, your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness love. So then, God having provided everything we need for life and godliness, in the context of faith, uh, we are to supply something, and we are to do that in the context of applying all diligence. Supply, applying diligently. Supply, applying diligently in your faith. That's the kind of language that's here. Now, this term supply kind of is weird. I mean, if you look at it, you go, supply, how do I supply self-control? How do I do that? To me, it kind of doesn't make sense. But as I look at the word, I'm I'm aided by maybe how it's translated in other places. The term supply in the Greek, uh, epi uh, speaks of supplying or furnishing. And it has the idea of adding to or supplying upon, epi upon, supplying upon, uh, placing upon. And so we gain the idea that as we trust in the promises of God, relying on Christ, we're going to do something. Our faith actually is going to work. It's going to work. We're going to supply or add something to that. And you go, wait a second, oh, add something? No, I don't understand that. Well, we're going to see that we have in this paradox something to do. Now, I'm always telling you that we need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we need to rely on him, that we need to not, we're not adequate for anything. It's coming for us, and I believe that wholeheartedly. But within a dependence, the Lord will use his power and strengthen his word by his spirit to cause us to step out in obedience. It's the obedience of faith. And this is what it's going to look like, what it's going to look like. You see, it's a paradox. Uh, genuine faith will produce obedience. We see this in Scripture, this principle. Turn to James chapter 2. It's very clear here. It's very clear. And in James, there were people that said they had faith in Jesus, but that faith wasn't manifest in any true uh, uh, manifestation of Christ working out in their lives. And so we have this question about it. Hey, uh, you say you got faith. What about this? And then he explains. James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? That's what helps us interpret uh, chapter 2 of James. He's talking about saving faith. Saving faith, okay? If a brother and sister is without clothing and need of daily food, and one of you says to him, and this is religious stuff, go and be warmed and filled, um, and yet you do not give them what's necessary for them, what use is that? 
basically saying your faith isn't working, right? If you don't have a love for someone who is in need there, a brother or sister. And he says, even so, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It's not even real faith. It's not saving faith. You can say you got faith, but if it isn't working, then it's not a genuine faith. It's not a genuine faith. Uh, we see uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. This kind of gives you the picture of how faith works, by the way. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of work, a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepares the works, and he, we're going to see it's his word working out in us in the context of faith and a real relationship with Jesus that these good works are manifest, that they are manifest. Indeed, we see in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that is at work in us. He's working in us for his will and good pleasure and good pleasure. So in the context of our salvation being worked out, we see that that is obedience. It's being able to obey, obey the Lord God. And we can't obey unless we know what he says. You know, if, if the Lord God uh, tells us to, you know, be angry but do not sin, do not let the sun go down your anger, well, if I let the sun go down on the anger, I'm not obeying. But if I trust the Lord and I obey him, I don't let it go down, right? Or he says, don't steal any longer but work with your hands. Go out and work. You know, his word informs us of what he wants us to do in the context of faith, of faith. So then, in the context of this, he says, now for this very reason, back in our passage, First Peter, I keep saying First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply. Now we're going to take a look at this a little closer. Notice he says in this phrase, applying all diligence. Applying all diligence. The term applying could, could be translated make or giving. Uh, it speaks of, uh, of bringing every effort to bear. Bring every effort to bear diligently. Diligently. Term diligence, interesting word. It speaks of effort. It's translated haste often in scripture or speed. Uh, it spoke of effort in a real eagerness or, 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 or diligence. It is often opposite or opposing the terms laziness or lagging, okay? In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Paul contrasts diligence with not lagging behind. Let me read this for you, Romans 12, 12. So then, my beloved, just as you've also always obeyed, notice obedience, right? Uh, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Oh, excuse me, that's the same, same passage I read. Oh, that's Philippians, but that's still good, right? Um, I didn't read the obey part last time. That's good. Uh, so Romans 12:11, not lagging behind in diligence. Not lagging behind in diligence. We need to be diligent. Um, in Hebrews chapter 6, you could turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 
we see this. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. God's not going to forget what you've done in him, right? And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. Look at that. So as to realize the full assurance of hope to the end, that you might not be sluggish, sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. Be diligent. Be diligent. Applying all diligence. All these things are to be done in the context of of diligence. Diligently doing something. Diligence. Diligence. In the context of faith. We are to supply. So what is it that we're to apply all diligence to? What is it that we are to supply? What is it that we're to make every effort to um, supply or add these things, in a sense, in our life? What are we to do? Let's look at our passage. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, that's the context, the effort. There's effort being done. It's not lagging. It's not laziness. We're lazy in trying and not trying. We're, we're lazy in stepping out in godliness at times. We're lazy in doing what is right. We're not diligent in that, right? Applying all diligence in your faith, supply, and then we have all these things. So I'm wondering, what does it mean to supply? What does that mean? It, it, it literally means to add to, and that's where it kind of goes, wait a second, in my faith I'm going to add to this list of things. It kind of just throws me off. But if I look down, it is very helpful to see that these real-time qualities are characteristics of a yielded life in Christ. We see it back beforehand. They're characteristics of God's word increasing and functioning in us. Look down at verse 8. This is helpful. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They have to do with a relationship with Christ, okay? It's centered around. It's not just simply doing stuff. And then notice, this is going to help us in what supply means. It says here in verse uh, 9, For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his former purification from his former sins. Hey, I'm not focused on Christ and what he's done for me. That's a problem, right? You forget that. Therefore, beloved brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you what? Practice these things. That's a parallel statement. You will not stumble, never stumble. And for in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. In parallel to supply moral excellence, there is the word practice. And it means to do. It means to obey. It means to do it. Do these things. Do these things, right? In a sense, allow them to be added into your character by abiding in Christ. Allow his character to be added into you by trusting him and obeying him, partaking of his divine nature through his precious promises, right? Add that in. Allow it. Practice. Do it. You see, the Apostle Paul understood this, that although we abide in Christ completely, and it's by his grace that we step out and there's effort involved. There's effort involved. It takes effort to to love someone. 
You know, yes, it comes from Christ's love in us, but it takes effort. Paul would share in 1 Corinthians 15, For I am the least of the apostles, verse 9, who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I the grace of God in me. It's like preaching. I am trusting in Christ completely. I'm relying on him for my preparation. I know I'm not adequate. I know I can't do it. I've yielded myself to him, but I have to stand up here and open my mouth. And God enables me to do that, and he enables you to do what he calls you to do if you trust in him and you're walking with him. It's a relationship. So then we do these things. We see this in Colossians chapter 128, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man complete in Christ. And for this reason, Paul says, a purpose, I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. I strive according to his power, which mightily works within me. This paradox of total dependence, yet him working out through us in real time, a real relationship where we manifest in certain situations and places his character, his character. And that's what I want to do this year. His character has not manifested in me the way it should last year. I bet it hasn't in you either. And I want it to manifest more in my life. I want to be more like Jesus. I want that to be my resolution this year. So then, if you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, and that's the core again, don't get away from that. I'm focused on Jesus. I'm abiding in Christ. I'm relying on him. He's going to take his word and work it out of you. He's going to change your desires so that you desire to do what he says. You desire to do what he wants. And that's these things working out in us. Let's take a look at those. You know, we're going to see these specifics here. Notice he says here, now for this very reason, also applying all diligence, diligently, do it diligently. Don't be a lazy Christian. Be diligent. Be diligent to be obedient. Be diligent to do what he says rather than to snap in the flesh. Be diligent to trust and obey him. Be diligent to do that. We need to, we need to apply it, applying it. It says here, applying all diligence in your faith, I'm trusting Jesus. Supply or practice, as we saw later on, verse 11, supply or practice moral excellence is the first one. Now, these are in a specific order, and I believe they're rightfully so in a specific order. There's an order that God has given us that he gives for a purpose. Now, this term moral excellence is the same word, both words moral excellence, is the same word translated excellence back in verse 3. Same word. Let's take a look at that. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Or you could translate that moral excellence. He called us by his glory and his moral excellence. And he says, for by these he has granted his precious and magnificent promises. Now this word excellence or translated moral excellence is the Greek word arete. And it spoke of that which was virtuous or excellent. If you thought of a virtuous woman, it was an arete woman, a virtuous woman. It was, it was a moral woman, right? Someone who's, who's, who's righteous, right? Um, it also comes in the idea, has a parallel sense of praise. 
in Philippians 4.8, he says, If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. If it's morally virtuous, and that only comes through the Lord, it is his character that is morally excellent. It is his character that is virtuous. But we can exhibit that by abiding in Christ. And we are to apply it, in a sense, in the context of diligence. Apply it and supply it. Uh, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light, First uh, Peter 2.9, that we might proclaim his moral excellencies. That's the word, his virtues. The virtues of our God. Our God is great. Our God is righteous. He is holy. He is just. He is faithful. He's kind. He's an excellent God. He's an excellent God. And we are to, first of all, supply these And this is what we do. We're partaking of his divine nature, his excellencies by his precious and magnificent promises. I can't supply in diligence moral excellence apart from his word working out in me in the context of trusting Jesus. You see, his word reveals what's excellent. His word reveals his will. His word reveals his holiness. And so here, as we trust Jesus... Believing in his word, we're actually obedient, and we're actually obedient in the sphere of moral excellence, and we're going to exhibit character that emulates his excellence and is worthy of praise. It's holiness and righteousness. So when you are tempted to be unholy and unrighteous, let Christ remind you through his word and rely on him that his excellence would be supplied forth in your life. Be supplied forth in your life. I want to be holy and righteous. We're to be holy because he is holy. And I can spot times when I'm not holy. I'm sure you can spot times when I'm not holy. And you can spot times when you are not holy, right? I don't want to do that. I want to be diligent to not be that way, but to trust him. You see? Supply that. These qualities should be in us. And they are. They always, if you became a believer, they're in you, but the little pieces here and there, and we can forget about it, and we can get blinded by their stuff. So apply moral Excellent. Supply it. In everyday situations, in everyday situations, let his character of moral virtue and excellence be come forth from you. Let it come forth from you. That means not having immoral things. That means setting those sides, things apart. That means saying no to those temptations to have those evil thoughts, unrighteous, immoral, and unholy thoughts. Saying no to that, right? And allowing him to live it through us. And that's the only way. And it comes forth when you abide in Jesus, you're going to share his character. You trust in him, you rely in him, and it's in real time. Let me share a passage that gives us an example of this. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Verse 17, it gives an example of this supplying this moral excellence. Not unholiness and immorality, but moral excellence. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Okay, that's God's word, his precious word. It's working in my heart. Okay, I don't want to do that, right? Um, in, the, in, the, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but you did not learn Christ in this way. You didn't learn Jesus this way. You didn't learn your relationship with him that it's immoral that you walk in immorality. 
we learn that he's holy and he's righteous, he's just, right? He says here, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Moral excellence, right? And that you, and which you be corrupted according to the lust of the seat and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You say no to those things and you allow his moral excellence to fill your heart and mind and to manifest in your life, right? And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's how we supply moral excellence. We renew our minds and we allow him to change us from the inside that we would manifest it on the outside. That we manifest it on the outside. So then, in, in applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence. Back to our passage. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. It's interesting, he doesn't put knowledge first here. He puts uh, godliness, or not godliness, but moral excellence first. And then he puts knowledge. Because we tend to think, oh, it's all about knowing. And it is about knowing, but not simply about knowing. Because if we truly know him, it's going to change us. It's going to change us. So then he says knowledge. And what kind of knowledge is he speaking of? It's uh, We're to be diligent to make every effort to supply or increase in knowledge. And I believe this is knowledge from his word knowledge of the Lord. Are you increasing in the knowledge of him? Are you growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? Do you know him better than you knew him last year? Do you know him better? Are you striving to know the Lord Jesus, the God who created everything, who created us, who holds everything together, who has condescended to our level to take on human flesh, to die for us, and is a friend to us, although he is our God? tremendous reality we can know him better and the only way you know him is to get in the word and know him through his word grow in that knowledge you need to be growing in it make that a resolution i want to know jesus better this year i want to know him better i want to know christ knowledge if you've been a christian 30 years and you don't know anything more about the lord than you did when you started from his word something's wrong something's wrong something's wrong Listen to Proverbs chapter 2. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2. We need to treasure his word and treasure his word so that we treasure him. It's him. You know, if you, if you really care about someone, you want to hear what they have to say. Right? Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discerning, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you'll discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, right? Increase the knowledge of him and his word and his ways. I want to know his ways. My ways are messed up. You know, we have so many people claiming to be Christians, and yet they walk in the world's ways over and over again because their hearts and minds have been dulled by sin. We need to have his word functioning primarily in our hearts rather than our ways or man's ways. Knowledge. Knowledge. We should desire to know the Lord. We should desire to know his word more. And guess what gets in the way? Sin. It's sin. Clearly, when there's sin in our lives, we don't want to be in the word. When there's sin, we don't want to be 
uh, knowing Jesus. Really, seriously, we, we want to just do our own thing. It's sin that gets in the way. So then, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Be diligent. Diligent to do it. Diligent. Now notice this next one, he says, and in your knowledge, verse 6, self-control. Uh-oh, self-control, right? We all know the battle with self's desires, right? Self-control. We're to apply it. We're to supply it. We're to add it. It's to be functioning in us in the context of trusting Jesus. This term self-control, ed krata, speaks of mastery. Mastery. You know, think of when you master something. You are in control of it, right? You're mastering something. It speaks of the ability to control one's desires and appetites, uh, controlling one's thoughts and thus emotions, right? The ability to control your thinking, your thinking, right? Uh, it's the ability to hold every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We ought to be growing that. We ought to be adding to that self-control, right? It should be coming out, coming through our, our spiritual pores, right? It should be, should be coming out. Indeed, we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord by faith, and he enables us then to be controlled within our thinking. Proverbs chapter 25, 28. Let a city that is broken into without walls, or excuse me, like a city that is broken into without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. That's the way we used to be, and that's the way we are at times when our old man is in charge. We need to put it off, say no to it, allow God's word through a real relationship with Jesus to change our thinking and thus our behavior and thus our speech and thus our actions, right? Self-control. The Apostle Paul will share in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he understands the, the importance of mastery over his flesh. He says, do you not know those who run in a race all run, but only one, only one receives the prize? 1 Corinthians 9, 20, 24. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They, then they do to receive it a perishable wreath, but we imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way that I'm not beating the air. But I buffet my body, I make it my slave, lest possibly after I preach to others, I myself might be dis qualified self-control we know it is a fruit of the spirit it's a fruit of yielding to christ it's it's the ability to control one's thinking in a sense to hold those thoughts captive to not let those evil thoughts take control not let those fleshly thoughts take control but to say no to them in the context of really abiding in christ because we don't have the power but since Christ set us free, when we abide in him, we have his power. We have all the power available to us, and we trust in Jesus Christ. So he says here, now, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, your moral excellence, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control. And then notice he says, back in our passage, in your self-control, perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance, uh, Greek word hupomone, speaks of remaining under enduring, persevering. And it's God's word that produces perseverance in our lives, by the way. It's God's word that, that we, when we believe it, the result is perseverance. When we believe by faith what God has said, we persevere. James chapter 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, 
when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be complete, or perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this is all in the context of faith. We trust the Lord in the midst of trials, and it produces perseverance. So then, actively and diligently remain under the difficulties as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Actively and diligently. You've got a tough spouse to hang around. You've got a tough job. You've got tough situations. Persevere. Trust Jesus. Believe what he has said. Renew your heart and mind. Allow him to give you, through faith, that perseverance. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Then notice he says, in your perseverance, godliness. Godliness. This term godliness comes from the Greek word eusebia. You meaning well, and sabiomai meaning revering or revering in your actions. Well reverence. It reflects an inner attitude of reverence and worship of God that is pleasing to him. It is godliness. It is, a inner, it is an inner uh, demeanor in this context, this word, towards God of, 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 uh, of reverence, well-reverence. Um, and it's not a bogus outward godliness uh, that comes from uh, bogus faith. It comes from a real faith, and God has given us everything pertaining to what? Life and godliness, everything we need through his precious and magnificent promises. So as his word works out in us, we become more godly, more reverent in our interactions and our behavior. You see, if if the Lord is on my mind and I fear him and I revere him, my speaking is going to be different. And I need to do that more and you need to do that more. And we need to do that more. We need to allow God to add it to us, right? As we trust him. That needs to be our resolution. You see, we increase in godliness, uh, and we need to discipline ourselves for this purpose. What does uh, Paul tell Timothy? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for old women. Timothy, don't listen to that junk. And there's a lot of junk out there, by the way. He says, but, he says, instead, uh, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the, for the purpose of, godly, of, of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, and that, that relates to those old fables and the women's, old women's stuff. They're all focused on the flesh, by the way. Don't get caught up that. You're getting older. Don't get caught up in all that because you're falling apart and you're going to die. Don't get caught up, but get focused on godliness. He says here, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Because since it holds the promise of the present life and also for the life to come. When his character is manifest in you in the context of reverence, it's profitable for now and for eternity. Not a phony baloney reverence, but a real true reverence for the God that you're trusting and obeying and walking with. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But flee these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life which was, to which you were called. Pursue being godly rather than ungodly. Pursue that, right? Pursue it in the context of faith. In the context of faith. So then, notice the list continues. And in your godliness, back in our passage, brotherly kindness. This speaks of brotherly love. 
It speaks of brotherly love. And it's a love for the body of Christ. It's a love uh, towards redeemed man. It's ours when we abide in Christ. We have no need for anyone to teach us to love the brethren. First Thessalonians 4. But God himself teaches us to love, right? We see that First Thessalonians 4. We don't need love of the brethren. He teaches us to agape one another. And brothers and sisters, Peter would say in his first letter that we have been saved unto loving each other. This should be increasing in us. This should be there, and it should be increasing. And I, he's increasing in my life. He's increasing in your life too. I know that, right? We all know that. First uh, Peter chapter one twenty-two. Since you have an obedience to truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Since you got saved and sanctified and purified so that you could love, 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 right? And you got to say no to self. You got to say no to self. You got to let Christ love through you. He'll love through you if you let him, if you trust him, if you have his word functioning in your heart and you're relying on him. He says, fervently love one another from the heart, from the heart. Be devoted to one another, Romans 12:10, in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in love. Hebrews chapter 13, 1, let love of the brethren continue. Let love of the brethren continue. So we have brotherly love there. Now I tell you, if you don't have love for the body of Christ, that's increasing. Um, and and, then, and you, 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 something's wrong in your life. And if you're not around the body of Christ, then something's very wrong because you can't love unless you're around. We got to be around each other. We got to be with each other. Got to be with each other. So notice he says here, and with your brotherly kindness. Then he says, love. Now there's some who say this is light of this love, brother love. This is a generic love for the world. I don't think that's the case. He talks about agape love here. In your brotherly kindness, and the last one, agape love. And I believe here he's already talked about love for one another. And I think the highest, most important thing that we need to do, it's the highest thing, is love the Lord. Is love the Lord. In our brotherly kindness, our brotherly love for one another, love the Lord, I believe. Matthew chapter 22, 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love the Lord. Choose him first. Choose his desires over yours. Choose his over others. Choose his desires. When you love someone, you, you choose them. You choose their desires. You choose their will and their desires. A true love of the Lord is also going to manifest in an obedience to his word. First John chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is born of God uh, born of God, whoever believes loves the Father and loves the child born by him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And we love him, we love him, we choose his desires over ours because we love him, because we know him, we're growing in a relationship. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to do things that are contrary to his desires and I, and I feel terrible when I do. And I confess knowing that I'm forgiven. Because I love the Lord, what he's done for me. I want to be thinking about it. It all ties back to walking in the context of the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, practically speaking, we should be increasing in these things. We should be diligently seeking for them to be manifest in our lives. You know, we, we, don't, we, we don't diligently seek to have sin manifest. It just happens. We've got to diligently seek to allow him to work these things out. I need to be focused on this to allow him to work these things out. 
And so what are your resolutions? Um, Certainly, bodily discipline, there's a little profit. But godliness is of great gain, especially when accompanied by contentment. That's what we should be doing. How are you doing today? Well, we've seen these qualities. These qualities, if they're yours and increasing, they leave you neither unfruitful or useless in the kingdom of God, in our relationship with Jesus. Are you useful and fruitful in your relationship? Are these things increasing? Have you ever had these things? Maybe you've never manifest this ever. And God is saying to you, I want you to see you're not mine. And he wants you to believe and realize you're still in your sins and turn to him and believe and be saved. And then he will start manifesting these things for you. You will partake through his word, by his spirit, of his nature. And you will manifest it. And we will manifest it with one another. Well, how about the rest of us? Are we sliding backwards at times? Are we staying stagnant? Uh, make it your desire. Make it your desire to be diligent, to diligently, uh, in the context of faith, supply these things so that Christ would be glorified and that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, help us to be focused on the right things this new year. Help us to um, make the right resolutions. Lord, that we would be like this. We would become more like your son, Jesus, Lord God. Lord, we've all failed so often in so many ways that you've forgiven us. But yet even in those failures, we should also be growing. We should be growing in the grace and knowledge of your son. And these things should be increasing in us. I pray we'd rightly evaluate ourselves and we would desire the right things. And we would allow your son's life to be manifest in us. And we would diligently apply these things for your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name.